When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha is experts, celebrities. What's up? This is Belbid DeVoe. You're truly Idris Elba. This is Fantasia. This, this is Invo. This is India RE. So much more. All from a woman's perspective. What flavor are you, baby? This is Cafe Mocha. It's Cafe Mocha on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Angelique. This weekend, Yo-Yo and Tevin Campbell reminisce on the old days. We've got prima ballerina Misty Copeland. But we start the show in Cincinnati at the Black Music Walk of Fame. When you think about the birth and origin of Black music, you might think about Detroit, Motown, Memphis for the blues, maybe D.C. for some go-go. What most people don't necessarily think about is Cincinnati. One woman is trying to change that. She spearheaded the Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame. We've got Alicia Reese on the line to talk about it. Welcome to Cafe Mocha. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I mentioned some cities where we know the birth and and depth of the music there, but what kind of names come from Cincinnati when it comes to music? Well, we have a lot of names in different genres. Uh, We've got Bootsy Collins. We've got the Isley Brothers. uh, We've got uh, Midnight Star, High Tech in the hip hop area. Uh, We also have the king of doo-wop who created the doo-wop sound, Otis (laughs) Williams. We have in the gospel category, uh, he played with uh, Dr. the late Dr. James Cleveland. We have the late Dr. Charles Fold. So uh, Wilbert Longmire, who's from here, was discovered by Nancy Wilson. Okay. Uh, she came here to play the music festival, discovered him, and he played with George Benson. Uh, we're the home of King Records, where James Brown recorded most of his uh, biggest hits right here in Cincinnati. Okay. So we have a long history. Uh, uh, L.A. Reed is from here, who... Uh, was in a group called The Deal. Uh, with we Baby know who L.A. Reid is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He's so the, he's a lot freaking, has come from here. <laughs> he shaped R&B. He and Babyface shaped yes. R&B in the 80s and 90s. A little group yes, called The Deal. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, like we had Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and Morris Day on talking about the Minneapolis scene. You know, we've seen tons of movies talking about the music scene in Detroit. You know, looking back 20 or 30 or 50 years ago, what was the vibe musically in Cincinnati? Was it like that where, the, where there were like these geniuses just in bars jamming? <laughs> I, you know, I think that um, we had a lot of that. We created, you know, we were right there with, you know, Cincinnati, Dayton, Ohio, uh, Southwest Ohio. We, we had that funk sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, even uh, when you look back at history, you know, Prince uh, got done with a concert in a whole nother city and, and drove to Cincinnati to uh, get in the recording studio here because we just had that, that funk sound. We created a lot of sounds uh, right up the street in Hamilton, Ohio. You have uh, Roger Troutman and yeah. uh, the synthesizer sound that you hear a lot of. So, you know, through his uh, group Zap. So we created a lot of different sounds. Uh, Like I I mentioned earlier, uh, Otis Williams and the Charms is going back that far. 
he created the doo-wop sound, and that went on, uh, you know, across the country. So there's there's a lot of sounds that we uh, created right here, high-tech on the hip-hop world, uh, whose work with Snoop Dogg and uh, one of uh, Anderson Pack's uh, biggest hits, he has that high-tech sound. And so I think one of the things that uh, we're known for is creating kind of new sounds, new trends. And what happens is usually the artists, you know, they leave here and they blow up and people, you know, uh, don't know that that sound came from someone from, from this area um, right. down here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Gotcha. Cincinnati's so. cracking is what you're trying to tell us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of competition, a lot of band competitions. I mean, the bands would just go at it. And for me, I grew up in music. I, I wouldn't be here without black music. My mother uh, lived uh, what they call area called the projects. A lot of people came from area called the West End. And, you know, singing was kind of like just all they used to do on the front porch and, you know, creating the harmonies and her idol was, you know, Aretha Franklin. And so um, she went on to meet my father who had interned at Motown and he came back to Cincinnati and, you know, wanted to be the next Barry Gordy and he had his own record label. We're home to a lot of independent labels that people, you know, began to start. And so he started his own record label, uh, SR Steve Reese Productions, met my mother and recorded her self-titled album and she performed on national TV and around the country and then they got married and they had me and so a lot of the artists uh, black artists i grew up with seeing them and they were friends with them or they're around the studio and that's why i wanted to have a, a black music walk of fame buzz because i said wait a minute these stories can't just live in my head right. we have to put them somewhere so when i'm gone when i leave the earth the stories don't leave with me they stay here because these are people who had dreams and you know, where the diamonds in the rough and invested their own money and created new sounds. And I want other young people from this area to know that, hey, you can do it too. And here's their stories. And so we wanted to do it in a, a, a in our in a way that is t- a tourism attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been the deputy director of tourism for Ohio, and I've also been an uh, elected official as the vice mayor, state representative, and now a county commissioner. But I wanted to leave something behind that's a tourist attraction. Uh, where the past meets the future through technology with the interactive outdoor uh, Black Music Walk of Fame Park that will be free and located right on the Ohio River. And that's where we came for freedom. And that's where many Blacks lived uh, until they moved them out to uh, the projects called the West End. And I wanted it to be right there. So we're right across the street from our NFL stadium, uh, Paul Brown Stadium, where the Bengals play. We're right next to a new music facility uh, called the Andrew, Bra- Andrew Brady Music Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're right in the Monday Night Football shot. So uh, everybody has to see it. And everyone can be a part of it. But it just has, you know, it's authentic. Um, and it's a way for us to bring tourists from all over the world to right. come and learn and be a part of this history. What were some of the challenges of um, getting the Cincinnati Black Music Walk of Fame off the ground to honor these unsung artists? I know Penny Ford, and she is awesome. Yes, Penny Ford. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they couldn't believe. They're like, Penny Ford's from Cincinnati. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Penny Ford is our first female inductee to go in, and uh, it's going to be built for 200 uh, inductees, uh, and we do four years, so we got over 50 years 
You know, the biggest thing I think was that it's just never been done before. That was the the hardest Mm -hmm. thing. The second thing, there hadn't been anything um, in a permanent way honoring black musicians, artists, songwriters, producers. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, wait a minute. And we're doing it on the most prime piece of property uh, probably in in Southwest Ohio. That's then what I, I, I wanted love. To be. <laughs> so whenever we watch Monday Night Football and the Bengals are playing, we're gonna see the bits of the Walk of Fame. Like yes, that? you'll see the Black Music Walk of Fame. We're prime wow. time. Cafe Mocha on the line. She's a principal dancer with the American Ballet Theater, the first black prima ballerina ever for the company. Misty Copeland has been using her platform to inspire, uplift, teach young girls body positivity and self-love. She's back with a new book called The Wind at My Back, Resilience, Grace and Other Gifts from My Mentor, Raven Wilkinson. On the line, Ms. Misty Copeland. Thank you. Welcome back to Cafe Mocha. Hello, it's so nice to talk to you. First of all, okay, we got to stop all the formalities because Misty is my girl, okay? When I asked her, she (laughs) the proper setup. (laughs) Yeah, I know you did the proper setup. (laughs) The principal dancer. (laughs) It's like, no, Misty, when I asked her to come on, when we had the real, she, you know, was like, of course. And she um, did her performance of the Nutcracker uh, with the American Ballet Theater. And I was just so enamored. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's actually going to come on the show. And when I say I boohooed so bad, <laughs> Misty remembers. I, kept, I, I was just so happy because, and I was just so proud of her. And I'm just like, Thank you so much. So I always, whenever she's in town, I go see her dance and perform and the things that she is doing for the culture in ballet for black women um, and and people of color in general is just great. So welcome back to the show. That means so much to me. And and you've been such an amazing supporter. And uh, so I'm going to I'm going to jump when you say jump. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) love it. Let's talk about this new book, The Wind at My Back. Um, I guess it's somewhat of a second memoir. Uh, My first memoir I wrote almost 10 years ago. Uh, But, you know, it it was important for me to be able to tell my story um, in conjunction really with someone who changed the course of my life and career. Um, My mentor, Raven Wilkinson, who's no longer with us, but uh, the impact that she has made on the ballet, ballet world and on my world, um, it, it deserves to be documented and told. You know, there's so many Black women who have made a huge impact on the ballet community, and their stories aren't told. And Ravens is not told in jest. It's not told, you know, in a way that it should be. She was the first Black ballerina to receive a contract with um, a major ballet company in 1955. Uh, she was the first and only Black woman to join the, the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo, which was like the American ballet company that brought ballet to America, one of the greatest of the 20th century. And she was promoted to soloist, which was unheard of in that time. I mean, let alone getting into an, an all-white company, let alone being promoted past, you know, the, the, the lowest ranked the court of ballet. Um, she went on to dance with the company for about seven years 
before her life was being threatened by the KKK every time the company would tour through the South. So her career took her overseas to Amsterdam, like so many black artists of that time uh, that had to go into Europe in order to uh, have more success. And Raven, you know, is no different, but we met in 2011 and had, uh, you know, just, an incredible relationship. She showed me what it was to be able to see myself through someone in a real, real way. And, and also just the realities of how much, little has changed in, in the ballet world. Definitely. We're talking to Misty Copeland, her new book, Out the Wind at My Back, The Resilience, Grace, and the Other Gifts from my mentor, Raven Wilkinson. I think this is a wonderful uh, story to tell because It is up to us to be the gatekeepers um, for the Mm -hmm. history of our people, because this is my first Mm -hmm. time hearing about the wonderful Mrs. Wilkinson. What did you learn in her story that helped you as a ballerina push through? Well, I am so fortunate that I didn't even have to just look at her story or hear about it to learn from it. I had her, you know, in my life, you know, face to face sharing these gifts and knowledge, wisdom with me. The most important things I learned from her was just how she set an example. You know, she wasn't, I've had, I have so many incredible mentors and teachers and coaches in my life. And Raven was so unique um, that, you know, I, I never felt like she was my elder that was wagging her finger at me. That was like, this is what I'm teaching you. And this is what you should do or shouldn't do. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but She was so unique in her approach that she just kind of embraced me and supported me and would share these uh, experiences and stories of hers. And I knew there were like nuggets of wisdom in the stories that she was telling. And it was how she dealt with these incredible situations, you know, the incredible racism that she experienced, um, you know, especially in that time. And she continued to have such integrity and grace and empathy empathy for the Ku Klux Klan (laughs) you know when she would tell me these stories like they're human too and they learned this from someone you know and it it was having this understanding of like humanity um and and also just undeniable love for for the art form um even though it didn't always accept her and she still is so passionate uh, about it and she just showed me that, you know, there's there's nothing that's too hard, you know, to overcome. I mean, Misty, it's like we are still dealing mm-hmm. with being the only one, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of us are still dealing with that, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, as an engineer, I was like the only black young female in my group. What are some mm-hmm. of the tips, a, a few things that we can give our listeners to tell them that if you're the only one, how to deal, especially with the Europeans and the colonizers. (laughs) (laughs) Colonizers. Oh my gosh. Um, You know, I I think that, that it's important to have a support system around you, no matter, no matter the situation you're in, whether you're the only, you know, one of a handful or you're surrounded by, you know, people who look like you or from your community. It's so important to have a support system to be able to call on. You know, I think for a lot of young people, we, you know, I have been in this position before where you just feel like you don't want to 
burden anyone. You don't want to, uh, you know, you think you can do it on your own. Um, you, you don't want to accept this kind of guidance and, and um, support because it, it's like a, a weakness. But it's so important to know that you can't always do it on your own. And it makes you even more powerful when you have someone to call on on those days that you're exhausted or you don't have all the answers. You know, that's been my backbone and my strength throughout the course of my career. You know, I was the only black woman at American Ballet Theater for the first decade of Mm. my career. And I wouldn't be here without all of these amazing Black women, mostly, uh, that I've had uh, that I can lean on. You know, Misty, being the first principal American Ballet Theater, what sacrifices? I know I've had to make sacrifices. um, We Mm -hmm. all have. But something like that, that's built on tradition and the Mm -hmm. physicality. What sacrifices have you had to make in your life to achieve this coveted role? I mean, I have had to be extremely patient. <laughs> I've had to, um, you know, just to kind of like lay it out. Most dancers who come into a professional company, you know, within the first five years, probably of what your trajectory is going to be, whether or not, you know, the company sees uh, you as, you know, that they want to invest time in you. Do they want to nurture you? I spent 15 years in the company before I was even given the first opportunity to do a principal role. That's unheard of. And I I understood though, that these are sacrifices I was going to have to make and Mm. possibly risk having opportunities with another company that was not American Ballet Theater and ABT was always my goal. But if this didn't work out and I, you know, I was fighting and fighting and trying to show my consistency and my devotion and all of these things that, you know, I shouldn't have had to for that long. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could have missed out on a whole career um, if it didn't work out for me, Uh, you know, just having to um, make sure that I was as perfect as I could possibly be day in and day out. You know, I wasn't strolling into rehearsal class late. I wasn't, I didn't have my hair messy. I wasn't wearing a bunch of junky warm-up clothes, like, you know, all the things that you do as a professional and, over time, things slip. Like I didn't have those liberties, and and as sad as it is, like that's the that's the example that you know I have to set, and and that we have to have as as black people in most spaces. We're talking to Misty Copeland, and resilience is in the title of the book. I mean, where does that come from? Did you just have that mm-hmm. bone or was it developed over time? <laughs> it has it worn down. I think that it definitely came from my mom, from watching wow. my mom persevere. <laughs> you know, she had an extremely difficult childhood and then, you know, raising six children on her own and struggling financially for most of my upbringing. Um, watching her not ever give up which could have been so easy for her to do. I think that definitely, you know, um, set, set the standard of what I felt I, I needed to be doing. I don't think that it's, it's, it's worn off in time. Um, I think that it's just a part of who I am. I also have to say that, you know, being a, being a professional ballerina um, and the training that goes into it definitely prepares you 
uh, to, to be resilient and have like a thick skin and to be able to uh, brush off, you know, the criticism that you get and, and pick up and start again every single day. I just know when I see that you dance and when I look at the audience and there is a part of the nutcracker, and I know you, you know, the part I can't, I don't know the official <laughs> term, but when you twirling uh-huh. around and you're yeah. doing them a thousand turns, I'm like, Ooh, yeah. oh, she, how's she not getting dizzy? <laughs> but when I say Angie, you, the, the audience, it's like, they just come alive when she does her moves. And it's just, it's, for me, it's so empowering and it just is so encouraging because we need to have inclusion. But I just want to say thank you because I know mm-hmm. um, all of the hard work that you put into this. I have a niece who is never going to be a ballerina, but I'm not going to tell her that. But <laughs> for people <laughs> that have young girls or, you know, the, the young boys, what's some advice for them to get them started in dance? I think it's important, especially for children of color, that the parents are involved and invested as well. Mm. Um, that, that you find uh, a studio or community center, whatever it is where, you, where, where dance is being offered, and you see teachers that reflect these students and, and, and your children um, you know, ballet is a hard enough thing to be a part of, and you want to have all the support you can get. And, and what I would say to young people um, is to, as cliche as it sounds, is just to not p- compare yourself to other, other people next to you. Uh, you know, it, it's so powerful, and especially this day and age with social media and, and you know, wanting to look like people you see that you follow or, you know, come, come onto your uh, feed. Um, it's so, it's so much more powerful to be an individual and to be uniquely yourself. You know, that's something that Prince would say to me over and over again, you know, in our time working together, it was like, you know, when I would say I feel so lonely and I'm isolated, I'm the only one. And he was like, well, what's wrong with that? You know how many people want to stand out and, and be different and be unique? And I was like, oh, I never really looked at it that way. Uh, <laughs> See? There's, there's such power in being yourself. Yes, definitely. What's next for you? How long are you are, are you going to be a professional? Are, will you retire? You never retire? Are you going to yeah. teach? What's your future? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm so fortunate that I that I have been able to build um, so, so many different outlets that I have of, of being able to express myself, whether it's through, you know, writing, this is my eighth book. Um, I'm going to continue to keep, you know, writing and expressing myself and sharing my art with, with the world. Um, my foundation, the Misty Copeland Foundation just launched in September. We have an amazing new program, uh, that's offering free ballet class at Boys and Girls Clubs in the Bronx. I, of course, we'll retire at some point. Um, I'm 40 years old. As a principal mm. dancer, we, you know, typically can dance into your mid to late 40s. But I don't know if I'm going to do that. Uh, it's hard. How's your and it, body? You know, it's, it's Take it. the body. It's, yeah. it's a lot, you know, um, and it, it, it consumes your life. And um, I have a baby and it can, can no longer consume it the way it once did. Uh, so I don't know, I have a lot of amazing things on the horizon. I will 
forever be a part of the ballet world and community and fighting for more equity, diversity, and inclusion in, in every way that I can. Misty I didn't Copeland. know you was a mama. I, I know, know right? Yeah. <laughs> you just threw that on me. I'm an auntie. Oh yes. my goodness. Send gifts. <laughs> I got to send a gift. The baby almost in college. She just not telling me. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. This this has made my day. Thank this you. has Thank made you. my day. We'll continue to dance. As long as you are, are dancing, I'm going to be there in the audience. She is just phenomenal. And thank you for all that you do again. And thank you for spending some time with us, Misty. Hug Jackson thank for you. me. I will. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. The book is called The Wind at My Back, Resilience, Grace, and Other Gifts from My Mentor, Raven Wilkinson. Bye, ballerina Misty Copeland. It's Cafe Mocha. Up next, we watched him grow up from a little boy to a platinum-selling R&B sensation. Tevin Campbell's next on Cafe Mocha. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a Black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, for advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. It's Cafe Mocha. Cafe Mocha, Angelique, along with Yo-Yo. When this little boy first hit the scene, he was barely a teenager working with Quincy Jones. You remember the song, Tomorrow, A Better You, A Better Me? His first hit solo song was Round and Round. And of course, there's not a day that goes by that we don't hear Can We Talk. On the line, Tevin Campbell. Welcome to Cafe Mocha. Tevin, you were honored at Black Music Honors. Tell us what that experience was like, because, you know, a lot of times we think of people being honored. They're, you know, in their 60s. They're, you know, and you're still <laughs> a very young man who's a legend. Yeah. No, yeah, it was great. It was it was a night to remember. 
I had never been on it before, so it was my first time. And it, it, it was, yeah, it just felt amazing. Uh, and I'm at a point in my life where I am actually embracing everything that I've done. So it was perfect. And uh, I was just glad to have to sing that night. I don't think I could have done it. I was so nervous to speak and all of that. But man, what a night. What a night. Yeah, it was I, great. I mean, do you realize the impact that you've had? I mean, I don't <laughs> think there's, seriously, I don't think there's a day that I turn on a radio station and go through R&B mm-hmm. stations or stations from the 90s where you don't hear Can We Talk? Do you understand how many babies were conceived to that? (laughs) (laughs) Are you just blocking it out? You don't want to think about it? (laughs) No, I actually, that's one of the biggest mistakes I made in my life. I think uh, when I stepped away, I didn't know. I didn't realize the impact. And I didn't really start realizing it until maybe a couple of years ago. So I had blocked all of that out. Uh, But I do now. And it's a beautiful thing. I've learned to accept it and embrace it. And uh, it's actually quite amazing. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. I'm sorry, Yo-Yo, but I, I have to ask the follow-up question of why did you block it out? I mean, I know that the record industry is brutal. Yo-Yo knows personally. I was right know. alongside of him, so I get it. I just, I, I was going to ask that too. I'm so interested to know because, you know, we don't hear from the artists. So I'm, I'm interested to know. I did a lot of blocking myself, Tevin. Tell me your story. Oh, you, you, you know, you, you know the business. And, you know, when you're a kid and, and going through all that, it, it's just different. I, my world was just work, 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 work. That's what it was for me. But, you know, when I left the business, I was actually happy to be away from the business because mm-hmm. it was a chance for me to sort of, <laughs> I had no idea who I was or all I knew was work. All I knew was singing in the studio. It's all I knew. So when I stepped away, I was kind of free, but I didn't really know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of hard to explain. Um, I, I became sort of a young man in the business, but when I left it, I didn't really know how to be a grown man out of the business. I guess it, it, that's what I'm yeah. trying to say. I had yeah. a lot to learn. You get pulled in and it's almost yeah. like you, you really don't know who you are. You trust in so mm-hmm. many people. You have record executives, you have regional reps, you have managers, exactly. accountants, business managers, you have all these people around you. And as a young kid, it's a young artist is almost like a, a young actor. You know, it, it's that mm-hmm. same type of mentality. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I it, definitely it get it. What, what made you I know you do? When, when did you realize? I mean, you said just a couple of years, you realized that who you were. I mean, what were you doing from then to now? <laughs> well, I, you know, I knew who I was. You know, I just didn't really, I think social media had a lot to do with that. You know, um, I think I woke up one day and I was trending because people were just sharing sharing their love for Tim and Campbell. I thought that was just amazing, you know. So back in the 90s, we didn't have that. Um, So social media definitely uh, gave me access to that information. Now, that helped me realize my impact back in the 90s. Because like I said, I was too busy working. And as a kid, you don't really realize it. But yeah, yeah that is kind of a long time to block it out. <laughs> I don't really know the answer to it. I just know that I, I definitely know social media had a lot to do with that. And, you know, just 
I, I think I had to sort of find myself and live in my truth in order to embrace everything that I've done. So I just started doing that the last couple of years. It's just a beautiful thing, you know. Um, I don't know exactly, other than social media, I think that probably was the most, the primary thing that got me to start doing that, to embrace my impact. Talking about living within your truth, were you surprised about the Can We Talk Challenge and how well it did? Did you feel the love? Were you and Tank already yeah. cool? I mean, did you discover new any artists, you know, from the challenge? Tell me about that moment. <laughs> no, yeah, me and Tank, definitely, we cool. Yeah, I met Tank a couple of years ago. We did a show together. And I've, you know, run, run, ran into him a couple of times throughout the year. So we cool. I had no idea. I woke up one day and this was going on, man. It was amazing. <laughs> it was overwhelming. I had never, uh, wow. I, I can't even put it into words. Uh, I can't wait Kevin, to see. I'm sorry. Can you explain <laughs> for people who don't know what the challenge is? Can you explain what it is, please? The Can We Talk Challenge. I mean, they, everybody was, uh, I, I think Tank started it. And he just had all these people singing it and who can sing it better? I, I, you know, everybody was doing it. Actors and, and singers and man, oh man. And it went on for months. It didn't go on for days or weeks. It went on for months and it was just, wow. Wow. You know, and I think that really, and I always, I always kind of knew like, can we talk was, is, you know, my, my most popular song, but that challenge sort of just, <laughs> it engraved it in my, in my heart that, that, that can we talk as a beast. So no, that, that, that challenge was amazing. That really just, I, I felt that <laughs> I felt the love on that. That was great. That was great. We're talking to Tevin Campbell. You mentioned that you were glad that you didn't have to perform at the black music honors. <laughs> Are you, I mean, you know, are you ready? Do you feel ready to get back out on that stage and, you know, do your thing? Oh, no, yeah. No, I'm definitely ready. It's it's the TV stuff that gets me, that gets me nervous and the cameras and everything. Okay. Oh, no, but I love, I, I love being on the stage. And the thing about that is back in the 90s, I didn't really go on tour. I think I did one tour. Really? With Boys and Men and Baby Face, yeah. And it was my Christmas break. So it was like three weeks. My mom did not like me on the road. She didn't mm. like me out of school. So it's fun doing it now, you know, and it's fun singing the songs in the same key because a lot of people come in, they're like, hmm, you know, it's been a while. since this still, still hit the notes, you know, and to see the look on their face. But, you know, I just love singing. I've always loved singing. And um, I'm very comfortable on the stage. Here's your dose of espresso. Strong, hot news now. This is the Espresso. I'm Angelique. Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones was just expelled and voted back into the House of Representatives. He says Republicans are trying to silence him. They try and limit discussion. They try and limit what we can advocate for because they're afraid that it will hold up a mirror to their false power. And they and they told me that, you know, basically that I'm uppity, that, you know, that you need to humble yourself. I, I said, I'm not coming here as an intern. I'm coming here as a legislator, yeah. a, a colleague, an equal. After weeks of controversy over college basketball champ Angel Reese, things are finally calming down. She's ready to go to the White House. And I know my team probably wants to go for sure. And my coach is, is supportive of that. So I'm going to do what's best for the team. And if they would like to go and we decide and we're going to go, then we're going to we're going to go. And in theaters this weekend, Sweetwater, the story of the first black player to sign an NBA contract and change the game. 
it's what he brought to the game that really set him apart. I mean, he was innovative. The creativity, the style, the flair. He brought that game, that free, that freedom that we love watching today. Dr. J's, Elgin Baylor's, Connie Hawkins. There's no Michael Jordan without Sweetwater. That's the espresso. This is Cafe Mocha, Angelique, along with Yo-Yo. Tevin Campbell is on the line. How could you give it up for so long? Were you singing in the shower? Were you, <laughs> did you, did you like go to Europe and put on an Afro wig and pretend to be somebody else? If you love it that much, like how do you give that up? What were you doing well, I, instead? Well, I didn't love the business that much. Yeah. Singing, yeah. singing. I, I, if I couldn't sing, I don't know what I could what I would do. That's all I know how to do. So yeah. the business is is just different. I didn't have any problem being away from Davidson Staff <laughs> I really didn't. I uh I did not. And I and I ran into a lot of people, why did you stop making music? And, but you know what happened was two thousand one was the greatest hit that's when I left Warner Brothers. And um in two thousand five I got a part on Broadway. Uh, in a show called Hairspray. And I did yeah. that for six years. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was, I got to use my voice every day, eight eight shows a week. I was going to say a was, lot of times a day. Broadway's <laughs> no joke. <laughs> so I was always singing. I was always singing my voice. I never, I always, you know, I mean, that's my baby. My voice is my baby. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that was always something that I did but I was very happy to be away from the business. So Broadway came about, that was amazing. And then, uh, you know, and I did sporadic shows here and there, never, never anything consistent like I'm doing now, but I think everything happens for a reason. And uh, I think that it was good for me to be away from the business. It really was. It, 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 like I said, when you're a child star, you learn a lot early, but you don't know what to do with it, you know. Can I tell you something? Because, I am smiling from yeah. ear to ear. I don't know if you can hear my smile, but I am so happy that I can feel your excitement. And from knowing you, it just feels so good because one of the greatest singers to ever sing, young, talented star, a major baby. And when I say that, I mean, you know, you grew up in a major, from a major label and had to kind of wing it on your own. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about your second album. Angelique, can we go into that? That's our fun. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about this second album. You, when you were 16, Prince wrote and produced, I think, four songs on your album. That was crazy. Four yeah, songs. Yeah. I'm ready. One of the songs, shh. Break it down. Um, it was really raunchy for a sixteen-year-old. Um, you wrench. have a <laughs> I'd rather do you after school like some homework. <laughs> yeah, you know, Prince. What was your reaction yeah. to all of this? Were you shy? I was very shy. I was a very shy kid. Yeah, I, I was being used as sort of a muse. I was a muse for a lot of all the producers I worked with. Right, so Prince, Narda. They knew they had this kid that had this mature voice that could sing these ballads, you know, let's, let's use him to, 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 uh, because they were all going through marriages and all kinds of stuff. At the time. <laughs> so I think I was being used as music, but no, Prince is, uh, Prince was different. I wasn't shy around Prince. No, he was kind of, we were sort of, he was like a big brother. So it That's was sort of like, um, because I first, I met him when I was 12, you know, so I'd already knew him and work with him. 
uh, on uh, round and round. And I mm-hmm. did the movie for Peter Bridge, so I was on the set. So I knew him very well already. Okay. So it wasn't like I wasn't shy around friends, okay. <laughs> not at all. And we would drive around and listen to music, and we would, you know, drive around Bel Air looking at houses. And he, I'm going to buy that next month. Like, okay, you know, that was kind of cool. And he did it. Wow. <laughs> he bought it the next month. <laughs> he was so, so cool. cool. Like he was. He, he, it was like hanging out with a big brother. As far as the songs, I didn't care. I, if I liked it, I'll sing it. All of that stuff was, um, like especially Break It Down. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I, I, didn't, I just sing it. I didn't care about that. And I didn't know anything about what I was singing about. <laughs> I didn't know anything about what I was singing about. Trust me, all of those songs, like, and I hate to say this, but, you know, always in my heart and tell me what you want me to do and, those are very mature songs for a 13, 14, 15 year old to be singing. Yeah. But I could make yeah. it believable. And they knew that. Warner Brothers knew that. So it was, yeah. you know, and they're classic love songs. So they last forever, which is a beautiful thing. And I'm very happy about that. I yeah. want to go back further to pre debut album uh, mm. with Quincy Jones and, and that cute song with that cute little boy that was so optimistic. And you're like 13 <laughs> years old. A better you, a better me. It was just such a little. I'm like, who is this cute little boy? How sweet. How did for you to be 13 and for you to be in the studio with Quincy Jones? That's like something that people that have been working forever don't get to do. So I'm sure you didn't understand the magnitude at the moment. But how did no. that even happen? Well, I was 12 when I met him. Um, man, that's. That's that Benny Medina. So Bobby, we have to go to Bobby Humphrey first. Bobby Humphrey owned a club called Sweetwaters in New York City. And her brother and my mom were good friends. And so she heard me sing over the phone. She was like, oh, 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 oh. Sing. so she flew me out to New York. She recorded me um, on the video camera singing. I think it was once, twice, three times by Howard Hewitt. And you bring me joy by Anita Baker in front of all these adults on this stage at a club. I was... 11 I think and uh, she sent that tape to all these record companies and eventually Quincy saw the tape and that's how I hooked up Quincy. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast to get the full conversation go to mochapodcastnetwork.com mochapodcastnetwork.com or wherever you listen to podcasts just listen and subscribe until next time you can find us on all platforms at Cafe Mocha Radio and at cafemocharadio.com Cafe Mocha is a production of Miles Ahead Broadcasting in partnership with Compass Media, executive producer Sheila Eldridge. For comments, booking, or more information, visit CafeMochaRadio.com. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary funky divas in vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. 
more than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective.